In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood, from my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. <coughs> Whatever the virtues of the many fields of knowledge, all are steps on the path of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. O Manjushri, please accomplish this. Hi, good evening. Welcome. Nice to see you. Welcome back to Luminous Heart. Everybody have one of those? Where do you keep it? <laughs> okay, tonight we uh, go through the uh, creation of samsara and nirvana again further. Let's see if we can make heads or tails of this profound and deep presentation. So we're on the bottom of page 143 uh, with the headline or uh, subject <coughs> the header of uh, instruction on the six collections and the order of the five skandhas. This is taught by two verses, this being those two items. First, I shall explain the six consciousnesses, the Trimshika Karika by Vasubandhu, the 30 verses, says, the third modulation, the third modulation. So, what was the first modulation? Anyone? Blues, rock and roll, jazz. <laughs> maybe maybe blues and jazz was the second one and then rock and roll was the third one. What was the first modulation? Any ideas? Vast open space containing everything, the consciousness that stores everything in it. It's like a Walmart or like a <clears throat> something like that, terrible. The Alia, Vijnana was the first modulation of uh, consciousness into a sentient being. The second modulation, any guesses? Anyone know? Second modulation was numero seven, seventh consciousness. Right, that, that had those two aspects of being the afflicted consciousness most of the time, and then on a sort of moment-to-moment -moment basis of uh, the attention, it's called the stainless or immediate mind. And then the third modulation is the six consciousnesses, which includes everything, since there is no external world. 
So the third modulation is the observation of the six kinds of objects, dot, dot, dot. Accordingly, mind refers to the Aliyu consciousness, the first modulation. Mentation to the, it's on, on uh, 144, by the way, top. Mentation to the two aspects explained above, the uh, afflicted and the stainless slash immediate. And the third, i.e. consciousness, refers to the col six collections of consciousness. It is said that the latter, the six collections, are the ones that focus on the six objects, forms, etc., and that they are congruently associated with what follows, i.e., in the above text, i.e., the Trimshika Karika, the 30 verses by Vasubandhu, that is, they are congruently associated with the so-called 51 mental factors. Everyone remember their Abhidharma and have an inkling of what the 51 mental factors are? Where would you locate the 51 mental factors among the five skandhas? Fourth. Mostly. Are they Mostly. all there? No, well, the actually, the some of them are separately designated uh, in the other skandhas, like feeling and perception and such, right? Yes, perfect. Great, thank you. Okay. Okay, which, uh, you know, he split up this verse. So the verse was, the third modulation is the observation of the six kinds of objects, dot, dot, dot which is virtuous, non-virtuous, or neither, whereas the previous consciousnesses were neutral. Right? It is congruently associated with the omnipresent, delimiting, and virtuous mental events. So, um, even though the, the commentator, Rangjun Dorje, said mental factors, here the translator... Uh, is uh, translating Vasubandhu as uh, mental events, which are synonymous or an alternate translation, really, of mental factors. So uh, the mental factors go in, in certain sets. The first of the five omnipresent mental factors that we saw in the case of the Alia Vijnana. And then there's the um, object-determining five, which here Vasubandhu is calling delimiting which is an interesting gloss sort of on object determining. And then there's the uh, sort of good and bad mental factors, and uh, usually the virtuous ones are first. So um, it is congruently associated with the omnipresent, delimiting and virtuous mental events, as well as with afflictions, the six clashes, and then the secondary afflictions. There's 22 of those. There's 11 virtuous mental events and 22 secondary afflictions. So if you add those together, you get 33 plus your six uh, root afflictions is 39. And then you have five on the present and five delimiting is 10. So you're at 49. And we're missing two more mental factors which are, did I get my math right? Sleep and, oh, what's the other one? Sleep and, I, I forgot the other one. 
it'll come back to me when I wake up. Anyway, um, it's feelings being threefold. The feelings are being positive, negative, and neutral. This is a quick summary of the six consciousnesses that come along with the 51 mental factors. Every moment of consciousness has some uh, smattering of mental factors. Now I shall teach them my text proper, finally. This is Rangjung Dorje speaking. You may wonder what happens due to the stirring of mind and mentation. Mind being Ali Vishnona, mentation being the seventh consciousness, which is like waves on water, as it was explained above. And then he has his root verse that he's been commenting on. Reference. And apprehenders appear as to reference is a technical way of referring to the object of a conceptual thought, but conceptual mind. A conceptual mind refers to an object. It doesn't directly engage its object. And that type of mind that experiences reference is called the apprehender. The subject appears two separate things dualistically. Mind itself, Ali Vajnana, projects itself onto itself and grasps at itself. <laughs> so we have this little sort of self-contained world of the Ali Vijnana creating all these seemingly uh, uh, further elaborations of itself and thinking that it, it's different from those elaborations. So, could Sorry. you say that in, in Western, could we say that's our epistemology, our knowledge, the way we characterize everything and then come up with concepts which are basically knowledge? Uh, well, in the Buddhist tradition, knowledge is of two forms. Knowledge is, um, there's, there's knowledge through conceptual mind when it's used correctly, and then there's knowledge through direct perception of the five senses. So it's, uh, when, when we talk about the uh, knowledge of the five senses, or knowledge through the direct perception of the five senses. We don't talk about reference. We talk about direct objects. Making that that uh, sort of nuance and description in order to indicate a sort of hierarchy of uh, types of objects. Reference, i.e. the six objects of the six consciousnesses and the six consciousnesses that apprehend them though not really existing as something different ultimately will arise in a way such that they appear as two separate such appearances arise by virtue of the dependent origination of the triad of object sense faculty and consciousness that's the usual triad of experience coming together um, through appearances further expanding based on that. It's an interesting way of describing the sort of situation being um, further elaborated on. They become linked to the conceptual mind. So, um, through experience, appearances further expanding based on that. So first we have direct perception of so-called objects through the five senses 
and um, there's also a split moment of direct perception of the sixth consciousness when it perceives the five consciousnesses. And then we shift into conceptual thought. So they become linked to the conceptual mind, which is called, through making one see reference, appearances are obtained. The Ali Vajnana makes a see reference, reference, and through that appearances are obtained. Therefore it is taught to the appearance, due to the appearance aspect of mind appearing, sorry, due to the appearance aspect of mind moving outward, <laughs> just sort of expanding outward. You know, this this interesting way of trying to explain something happening, whereas really nothing really is happening, but somehow it's like this this totally circular world is creating further complexity that it believes in. The consciousnesses that apprehend objects as reference arise. So do they ever talk about what they mean when they say outward, when that seems like a meaningless term? Well, let's see if he does. I don't think he really described the word outward, but I think the idea is, is just that it, it seems like it's out, like further removed from the perceiver. You know, it seems like it takes the position of an object, and that, from that point of view, it goes outward from the subject. <laughs> But there is neither subject nor object, and the whole sense stuff is supposedly being created by a non-tangible, non-form-based non um, mind, right? Right. So, in other words, logically, the whole thing doesn't really make sense. But experientially, this is what we experience. We experience the, the perception of objects, and we have no real proof that there is anything beyond the objects, which he's going to get to, you know, which is the hardest part. Of, yeah, it's, of just, it's just weird the way they don't, you know, they, they still use these conventional terms. Yeah, they constantly like are, are using conventional terms and, exp and also expressions that imply external objects, but no. <laughs> but isn't that, like you said, the description of our experience? That's uh, yeah. Yeah. Outward is totally well. Well, in a sense, but it, seems, it just seems like it's sort of a false. It seems like it's sort of a, anyway. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, we know the limitations of it, and and the sort of interesting thing is that for them somehow it it worked, you know, in the sense of like work worked meaning it made enough sense in the way it made enough sense in explaining experience to give one um, a working basis for relating to the mind in meditation and, and outside of meditation. Right? That's, you know, the whole purpose of this is to give us a way of working with afflictions and, and ignorance. So it's just a framework. It's all just a, a relative conceptual framework. I guess for me, sometimes what's hard is knowing, is trying to figure out when they're describing what we experience and when they're describing what what really is. So what really oh, is. That's what, a good point. Yeah, let's see if we can distinguish those. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Those who do not do not know that all phenomena are mind. 
despite these consciousnesses being their own minds, entertain the thoughts that objects, outer reference, are produced by subtle particles or hidden entities. So, you know, the alternative to everything being mind is that phenomena exist from their own side, so to speak, as either composed of subtle particles, which is logically incoherent also, and the other option is what's called hidden entities. And uh, let's see, I don't think he describes very well what that means. So the first uh, subtle particles is a reference to the Vaibhashika view, the school of the particulists, the earliest school in terms of the fourfold classification of Buddhist philosophical schools that's done by the Mahayanists when they look back over the trajectory of the development of Buddhist thought. They classify the schools into the four of Vaibhashika particularists, Sautrantika, which really just means cleaving to the descriptions of the sutras and doesn't really add a lot of explanation. But the Sautrantika system says that um, that there's there's three types of uh, entities in terms classified in terms of how evident they are, whether they're evident or not. There's uh, appearing or fully evident objects, which are the um, the object of our sense consciousnesses. And um, there's no implication one way or another that those are actually external phenomena. In the Sautrantika system, there's this, this notion that our sense consciousnesses actually um, experience a replication of external objects in the sense consciousness. And uh, hidden objects are what we cannot get at through direct perception, but we can only get out through inference. And in the Sautrantika system, inferential understanding leads to the conclusion, well, there's external objects that sort of cast their aspect into the consciousnesses, and we experience their aspect, but the objects are hidden to us. And we can only get at them by inferential understanding, by saying, well, there must be something out there that reflects into our consciousness. And then very hidden phenomena refers to the workings of karma, which is only evident to a Buddha. Okay, so in order to demonstrate that this is not the case, that um, the things, objects are not produced by subtle particles or hidden entities, the manner in which mind itself projects the aspects of subject and object onto itself and grasps at them or itself as self and an, and other is to be taught. This is the inconceivable force of the incessant flux of the seeds of objects, sense faculties, and consciousnesses. But the stress or emphasis on the, the aspect of inconceivable. 
the mutually dependent origination of the power of causes and results within the essence of the alia which constitutes all seeds. So within this internal world of the alia vijnana, there's interdependent origination of causes and results uh, that uh, takes the form of objects and consciousnesses and so forth. This is stated in the Vajrashikara Mahaguhya Yoga Tantra. The Alia, which possess, and, and here they mean Alia Vijnana, which possesses all seeds, is held to be the nature of everything internal and external. Scriptural support, the Buddha said it, right? The reasoning for this is given by Dignaga, who's the first uh, real dedicated master to logic in the Buddhist tradition in his text called the Alambana Pariksha, which is the grasping onto of an object. It's a whole text about how the taking up of an object, of a sense object occurs, or or the object of a, of a mind occurs. And it's been translated, and uh, there's a really nice book out that has like a translation of it, a couple of translations and then a number of different commentaries on it. And it's auto-commentary. The essence of noble objects, which is internal, because they're logically they can't be external, is what appears as if it were external. This is its referent. It has an imaginary referent, since it has the nature of consciousness and also is its condition. While there are no outer reference, what appears as if it were external definitely exists inside. And so here we have this, this uh, pronunciation that the mind is real, which ends up tripping, up, tripping them up later. But um, this is the object condition. You know, we have the four conditions, the object condition, is the referent. The dominant condition is the sense base. The um, causal condition is the two of them coming in contact somehow, object and subject. And then the there's this thing called uh, what's the immediately preceding condition. What is it that sets up the situation that allows that moment of interaction to happen? So those are the four conditions, and here he's talking about the object condition. Because it is internal consciousness that appears as outer reference, and in turn arises from these projected reference, because when there's an object, there's a subject, they arise mutually interdependently. It has these two natures of being both subject and object, the it being the Alaya Vijnana. It the Ali Vijnana has two natures, subject and object. Therefore, the object condition is nothing but what exists inside. Consciousness appearing as an object is justified as a condition for that very consciousness appearing as that object's subject. Though it arises simultaneously with this subject by virtue of the object's potential being input, and input is an odd term, but it presumably means sort of projected from one into the other, 
the object projecting into the mind. It's a little bit of an odd term, though. <clears throat> a sequential relation between object and subject is not contradictory either. So we're saying it can be simultaneously, they both arise at the same time, or it can be one and, the, and then the other, followed by the other. And it is not contradictory for a potential to even be a sense faculty. In order, uh, so um, it is not contradictory for a potential, a potential presumably being uh, the potentials that exist in the Alia Vijnana. So those seeds turn into numerous different things. They turn into subjects, they turn into objects. Sense faculties, sense objects, sense consciousnesses. In order to instruct on these three points, the Alambana Pariksha Bhadignaga continues, even if being one of that triad of uh, subject-object or consciousness, it is the condition because of being unmistaken. Um, it, it, it experiences itself uh, undeniably. It may also be sequential, since its potential is input. There's the sense that the, the object projects into the subject. The essence of the potential of the concomitant sense faculty is that very sense faculty. <laughs> Another circular world is that uh, the essence of the potential, uh, you know, what is it that the sense, um, that gives the sense faculty the capability of sensing? is the sense faculty itself. I don't know, that sentence doesn't add a whole lot for me, but in this way, based on the uh, dependent origination, there was an interesting note on this. Let's see. No, this is later. Okay, so in this way, based on the dependent origination of differentiating, differentiating the nature, meaning... Um, there's this there's this progression of the Alivajnana going through these three modulations. And that's sort of process of dependent origination, one thing happening dependent on one modulation happening dependent on the other modulation before it. From that there occurs the twelvefold dependent origination, the twelve nadanas of differentiating what is desired and undesired. Therefore, by virtue of the condition of ignorance, which is the first of the twelve nadanas, karmic formations, the second, arise. And through this condition, the consciousnesses that see the six objects as reference arise. The consciousness being three and six reference being four or something around, something like that. Um, being appearances of one's own, actually, actually six objects is later, there's name and form, but being appearances of one's own mind, these objects are neither to be adopted nor to be rejected. There's, not, there's no need to do anything with them. But they are conceived as objects that are something other than mind. Through some of them being conceived as something to be adopted, i.e. thinking that they're good or, or will produce happiness, pleasant feelings arise. Through some being conceived as something to be rejected, feelings of suffering arise, 
And for some in between, feelings of indifference arise. Under the sway of that, discrimination comes about. So we're going through the skandhas, right? So um, we're on the feeling is the second skanda, and up until up until that point, we had basically um, consciousness in the aspect of form, which is this bizarre shift switcheroo, switcheroo that Trunk Rinpoche does in the book Glimpses of Abhidharma, where he describes consciousness as form, and everybody was like, "What?" Is he talking about? Did he like make a mistake? So anyway, um, we're on the top of page 146, the second sentence, through some of them being conceived as something to be adopted. Pleasant feelings arise through some being conceived as something rejected, feelings of suffering, and for some in between, feelings of indifference. Under the sway of that, that being the the triad of the three types of feelings and, and what went before it, subject and object. Discrimination comes about through apprehending the characteristics of those objects, which is the way discrimination is defined. It is that which apprehends characteristics. Through further apprehending characteristics through formation, the latent tendencies of conceiving of objects as something other than one's own mind are thereby solidified. So, discrimination is the third skanda, formations is the fourth skanda. So, we then have this uh, sort of conceptual framework arises, fully elaborated conceptual framework of their being perceived and perceiver. Latent tendencies of conceiving objects as something other than one's own mind are solidified due to that through clinging to the essence of form as shape, color, and so on, the skanda of form will be established. <laughs> so he starts with consciousness, and which is usually the fifth skanda, but he like puts that in the beginning place. Then he goes through two, three, four, and ends up with form. Which makes sense, actually, in this school. In this school, it totally makes sense, right? <laughs> it's the only thing that would make sense, uh, if anything at all makes sense here, but... Um... <laughs> okay, so um, these five skandhas appear by virtue of the dependent origination, that is the coming together of numerous appearances in the form of causes and conditions in terms of impure mind. This is why they are called skandhas, literally heaps similar to heaps of grain. Therefore, I say, Rangjun Dorje says, and this is his root verse, from adopting and rejecting feelings arise. To apprehend the characteristics of those is discrimination. Formation conceives of appearances of objects as something other, and through clinging, the skanda of form is established. One wonders, did Trungpa Rinpoche, was he using, you know, did he have this text handy when he, taught on the five, uh, that seminar on uh, Glimpses of Abhidharma, maybe. So maybe we could finally do the Glimpses book. <laughs> right. 
right with this is the background that it begins to make sense sort of since all of this is the inconceivable power within the mind i.e the alia consciousness as taught above it is discussed under many classifications such as skandhas dhatus and aitanas in many ways to slice this up now that you have the whole conceptual framework elaborated and developed one should be aware that these are presented for the sake of relinquishing the bad views bad views these are bad views of conceiving of mind as being single so this is the traditional explanation of why did the buddha present these three different schemes skandhas i datus and ayatanas and the answer apparently is that he taught skandhas to um help us eliminate the the misconception of the mind as being one thing a unity but instead realizing that the mind has all these different things going on at once and um um the experiencer and a and a creator the conceiving of mind as being single the experiencer and a creator so to uh, uproot that he taught skandhas to uproot the view of the mind being unitary the experiencer of everything that happens and a creator of thoughts and ideas and so forth respectively this is to be understood through the meaning of the skandhas being assemblies of many phenomena through the meaning of the dhatus bearing the characteristics of their own specific essences which is sort of a meaninglessly circular phrase but dhatus um through the meaning of bearing the characteristics of their own specific essences which which is usually the way phenomena are described in a general sense as being that which possesses its own essence a thing is that which possesses an essence that makes it what it is um let's see i.e. the six objects six sense faculties and six consciousnesses uh without there being any agent extrinsic to them and through the meaning of the ayatanas functioning as the gates for the arising of consciousness whereas there is no other creator so i sort of didn't clearly enough explain how the three are used so the skandhas is used to uproot the belief that the mind is single the dhatus is to uproot the belief that i am the experiencer of everything but instead there's these 18 dhatus they experience everything there's it's like this 18 different phenomena are experiencing things not just one me and then lastly the ayatanas uh teaching of the ayatanas is to give up this idea that there's that the uh me that i am the creator of experience but instead to understand that experience is completely interdependent based on subject and object yeah yes ma'am weren't, weren't they also taught um based on the level of Mm, of understanding of understanding huh. i thought there was something to that effect as well i don't remember that 
That's interesting. That's yeah, interesting. I think skandhas were for for me. <laughs> <laughs> the slow witted. Slow. <laughs> not not you, but me. You said me in general, right? Us, no, well, I meant us. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, uh, that I remember sort of remember that. That's later. interesting. Okay. Could I also um, ask a question? Yeah. When you just mentioned this thing about ayatanas and their purpose being to understand interdependence based on subject and object, but in this context, subject and object are not real either. They are just these illusory and incorrect formulations that arise out of the Aliyah of Vishnana, right? Mm-hmm. So in that case, doesn't that in some ways slightly undermine the notion of interdependence because it's it's a it's a sort of circular self-enclosed world and then within that world anything goes (laughs) yeah because i mean it just seems like it's further this you know the mind only seems to sort of further undercut not just the idea of things, which is what interdependence origination is sort of going along that route, that there's no real thing. But here, it's like the notion of subject and object, object and influence seems to be kind of moot as well, no? I think you have to immerse yourself in that world more thoroughly and believe it in order to then look around and see what it's like. I think we keep looking at it like from a distance at you know what is if uh, what is this all is mind everything is mind world like and like poking at it and like saying well then this doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense but That's, yeah I, I mean i'm certainly I, I trying i think we all are trying to look at it from the point of view but it, it, that's why I, I always have trouble with the way they language it because it seems like those things just pull me right back out of it into you know, ordinary, and, and that's why I'm just wondering. It seems like uh, the idea the, of- the mind creates these these three levels of evolution, and then they function in that way. It's it's undeniable the experience. You can't deny that experience. Anyways, yeah, thanks. <laughs> you know, there's no real logical way to to get at it particularly other than saying that there's no logical proof that there's anything external to the whole experience or since this is uh, discussed in detail in uh, Vasubandha's Panchaskana Prakarana, I will not elaborate on here, thus to summarize this instruction on all phenomena of samsara being mistaken when speaks of mistaken it's because of not realizing the two realities, the two levels of truth own essence, just like the mistakenness of not realizing a dream or an illusion for what they are. This is expressed by Noma Nagarjuna in his Bodhicitta Virvarana. From ignorance up through aging and death, I hold the twelve links of dependent origination to be like dreams and illusions. He's teaching mine only right here. This wheel of the twelve links rolls on the path of samsaric existence. I do not hold that any sentient beings engage in actions and their results in any other way. Accordingly, the same is stated in many sutras, tantras, treatises, having explained the manner of being mistaken in this way. So our experience is 
pervaded by this mistakenness of not understanding the two levels of truth, of reality. Then we have the division of causes and conditions, uh, which has two parts, the six and the four, six causes and four conditions. And the six causes starts with the five elements in consciousness, as the sixth are the causes. Is a conventional statement made by the made by thinking, and the terminology of the general yana. <laughs> I guess that's sort of the one yana of uh, the Mahayana. The conventional statement is made that the five elements—earth, water, fire, and wind, and space—and the element of consciousness as the six are the causes of everything, internal and external. As for the definitions of these in due orders, the five elements are that which is hard and solid, that which is wet and moistening, that which is hot and burning, that which is light and moving, and that which is empty and provides lots of room. Consciousness was already explained above as that which is clear and aware. Uh, the four conditions, there's the causal condition, since the latent tendencies of these causes, the six causes, the six uh, elements, five elements in the consciousness, since their latent tendencies are accumulated in the alia, it is called the causal condition. Their efficacy is accumulated in the alia, and so they, they are the causal condition that causes the arising of the triad of the dhatus. The alia consciousness um, which constitutes all seeds and was taught above is called the causal condition. For without it, no other cause of sentient beings is observable. Together with examples, this is frequently stated in the Mahayana Samgraha by Asanga, or it is characterized by way of likeness, since the Alia consciousness is like an illusion, a mirage, dream, or a blurred vision. If it did not have this characteristic as the seed of false imagination, it would not be suitable as the cause of mistakenness. Therefore, it must exist. It's the seed of false imagination, and therefore it's the cause of mistakenness. And therefore, it must exist. <laughs> the dominant condition, which in the normal scheme is the sense basis, bases, the dominant conditions are the sense faculties, such as the eyes, that appear in between, in between subject and object. The dominant conditions of the six consciousnesses are said to be the five sense faculties that appear in between these consciousnesses and their objects, as well as the sixth sense faculty of consciousness. It is taught that the eye sense faculty looks like a flax flower. That's that blue little pretty flower that has like flat petals, right? Possessing uh, translucent form. So this is the subtle matter that resides in the sense. Um, Wait a second. It's not matter though, right? So it's the perception. <laughs> this is subtle mind matter. It's. Subtle mind matter that resides in the sense basis. So within the eyeball, there's this sense faculty. Yeah, it's not. There's not matter. Um, 
possessing translucent form, the ear sense faculty resembles a twisted birch gnarl. <laughs> That's how they figure these things look. Some of them are really quite interesting. The nose sense faculty resembles aligned copper needles. <laughs> it's like a bed of nails. And let's see, the tongue sense faculty looks like two aligned half moons. How did they, where does that come from? And the body sense faculty is similar to the skin of the bird that is soft to the touch. That's weird. You know, birds have, have this skin like goosebumps or something like sort of weird skin. All of them possess translucent form non-material form. You may wonder, why do they possess form? They arise from the four elements as their causes. Translucent refers to lucidity since they're connected to consciousness. These faculties are also referred to as inner seeds or potentials. In Dharma Kirtis, Sambandha Pariksha, Wallasanga's mind is some graha holds that it is the that is the apprehended aspect of the alia. When the alia bifurcates into apprehended and apprehender, um, that appears as the five sense faculties. However, all of these explanations are not contradictory. They're all supplementary to each other in a confusingly weird way. As for the mental faculty, it is explained in several ways, such as being the immediate mind, moment-to-moment -moment attention, arising from and ceasing into the alia every moment. The datu of mentation, any one of the six consciousnesses having just ceased, or a particular one among the potentials of the alia. So it can be, it can take the form of any one of those, the mental faculty. However, the meaning of all this is that the very potential that functions as the gateway for the arising of the mental consciousness is suitable as the ayatana of mentation. Now when they say is suitable, they mean is is it uh, makes sense to describe it or define it as. So um, there's the famous definition of form is that which is suitable to be called form which is sort of an aside that we'll get to someday soon. Anyway, um, all of these are suitable for being, for uh, diff they're, they're different sort of aspects or possibilities or way of describing the ayatana of mentation, the triad, the, the twofold situation of mentation of uh, subject and object, apprehender and apprehended, because it and the ayatana of conditioned and unconditioned phenomena dependently originate as subject and re their related or its related object. The ayatana of conditioned and unconditioned phenomena are the objects of mentation. The objects of the eye ayatana of the eye sense space is shape and form, and the ear is sounds, and so forth, and the object, in terms of the ayatana scheme of subject-object, of mentation, is con all conditioned and unconditioned phenomena which dependently originate. Okay, so explanation or instruction on the object condition. 
the object conditions are what are cognized, which appear as objects such as forms. They're, these are forms, sounds, smells, tastes, tangible objects, as well as conditioned and unconditioned phenomena, the sixth. Form refers to the reference that are the experiential sphere of the eyes. That is the four great elements or that for which these four serve as causes. So either it's prime, what's called primary matter, which is the four elements, or secondary or derived matter, which is the combination of different uh, uh, recipes of the four uh, elements. Uh, let's see. Or that for which these four serve as causes, in other words, colors, shapes, and perceptible forms, sounds, both those conjoined and not conjoined with the actions of beings. So when we go through the definitions in a course someday soon, um, that really should precede all this difficult stuff, but I thought it, uh, I've never been able to talk you guys into doing that course, so I thought if, I, if we went through like this really difficult text, then finally you might be convinced that we should do the foundational material. Didn't we do Gateway once? Gateway. Uh, but Gateway, Gateway, yeah, we did. So that was uh, 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> not, ma yeah. not many of us were here then. Uh, let's see. So the way sounds are classified is sounds that are conjoined with the actions of beings, like sounds that humans and animals make, and then sounds that are not conjoined with the action of beings, sounds of, of rocks falling and lightning and thunder and things like that. Uh, let's see, our objects of the ears and also arise from the elements, smells are the objects of the nose, which include pleasant, bad, and other, i.e. neutral. Taste are the objects of the tongue, that is the six kinds of taste, which is like bitter, sweet, astringent, and I don't know, I can't remember the different, the six different tastes. Uh, tangible objects are the objects of some part of the body, and they come in, in the, the varieties of softness, roughness, lightness, heaviness, cold, warmth, hunger, and thirst. They, they had to describe hunger and thirst somehow. It's like, where, did, where does the hunger and thirst fit in the scheme of the senses? Sort of interesting. As for phenomena, there are eight conditioned ones. Aggregational form, circumstantial form. There's all these different types of form that you didn't know that about. Form originating from correct commitment and symbols. So there's aggregational form. A aggregational form is when religious communities come together for uh, various activities. Just kidding. Aggregational form is when the elements combine, right? Circumstantial form. I can't remember what the hell circumstantial form is. It's, uh, I don't know. Form originating from correct commitment and symbols is, is the subtle form that's created by a vow. In, in the Buddhist world, vows have form. <laughs> it's this very bizarre thing, which is supposedly why you're not supposed to, when you when you take or give uh, vows, you're not supposed to have like a desk in, in between the preceptor and the recipient or, 
or any sort of object because it blocks the the form, the the vow, because the vow is the form. That's one of my favorites. Um, mastered form. I, I, one of these, I think, maybe mastered form is like illusory form created by those who have power over the elements. Imputed form is what we, I think, is what uh, we we project as existing. I guess I don't know. Three twenty nine. Maybe there was. A, I forgot to look at this footnote. Among these five imperceptible forms, aggregational forms refers to the form of the minutest, minutest material particle, which is of the, the four elements. Examples for circumstantial form include the space in between things. And reflections are circumstantial form. Form originating from correct commitment and symbols refers to vows. Examples for imputed form include appearances in a dream and skeletons appearing through the samadhi of repulsiveness. The this, this skeleton remains one of the most commonly used analogies in the, in the Buddhist world where early on the Buddha had his students meditate on the, the what was called the I think it's the nine stages of decomposition of a human corpse. And they go into rather gory detail about the stages. And the final stage is a skeleton. And the idea is in order to overcome sense desire, you you meditate intensively uh, in a concentrative fashion as opposed to mindfulness fashion. You concentrate on the different stages of decomposition, in particular skeletons. And then what happens is that by virtue of that, all you when they do the scale, uh, they tend to. I guess there's two versions. One is you do the stages of decomposition. The other is you just focus on on all beings as made up of skeletons, in order to do away with any possibility of being attracted to another person physically. And so when you see other beings, you literally see skeletons because you've meditated so intensively on this that they actually perceive skeletons and so it's like they have to somehow they have to explain or like categorize that type of form because it's just as valid as any other type I guess um Mastered form appears through mastering certain samadhis. For example, the entire universe appearing as earth, red, and so on, due to the samadhis of the totality. Um, of earth, red, and so on. And that's a reference to uh, what's called casina practice, casina absorption practice. Anyway, talk about obscure things. Uh, so anyway, imputed form, feeling, discrimination, formation, unconditioned phenomena are the two cessations, and their cessation due to, uh, let's see in the footnote, it says, analytical sensation, which is enlightenment, basically, uh, the result of freedom from the factors to be relinquished on the path of seeing to prajna, having thoroughly analyzed and realized all aspects of the four truths or four realities of the normal ones and non-analytical cessation means that something is temporarily not happening by virtue of its specific causes and conditions not being complete like when a fire goes out because the firewood is burned up 
us unconditioned phenomena are the two cessations, space and suchness. But if they're divided into further enumerations, they're explained to be eight, and the footnote goes through those. In brief, the object conditions are what are cognized. So he's describing the object condition. The object condition is conditioned and unconditioned phenomena, all of them. So he just gave the standard rundown on what conditioned phenomena are, those eight types, and then there's unconditioned phenomena of four types or eight. The immediate condition meaning the immediately preceding condition, is whatever has just ceased. Whatever type of mind has just ceased and is associated with the sixth consciousness, mentation. About this, the Vaibhashikas assert that the very cessation of each moment of the six collections of consciousness is the immediate condition for the next moment. You know, so this is how, how do we account for like the fact that a chair remains pretty much like a chair every moment until the chair is destroyed by something similar to all other objects is that the uh, immediately preceding moment of a phenomena acts as the one of the uh, one of the substantial conditions for the arising of the next moment of that phenomena in the condition uh, sorry the next moment of the continuum of that phenomena it's the way of describing how do things appear like they do, as they do. So uh, the Vaibhashikas assert that the very cessation of each moment of the sixth collection of consciousness is the immediate condition for the next moment. However, because of the reasoning of cessation being in, unsuitable as a cause. So he's saying, he's saying that the Vaibhashikas said um, the cessation of one moment of consciousness acts as the as a condition for the next moment of consciousness. And that's saying that the dissolving of a moment of consciousness has an entity to it. It has a causal efficacy. The cessation of a phenomena has a causal efficacy. And other schools of Buddhism say, well, no, the cessation of of a phenomena has no causal efficacy. It's not like... Uh, it can't act as a cause because it's the disappearance of something. It's not an entity, the cessation. Uh, let's see. So, because of the reasoning of cessation being unsuitable, so that's rejected, that doesn't make any sense, that cessation can be the cause of something. Here, I follow what is said in the Samdhinirmochana Sutra. Accordingly, when any one of the six collections of consciousness has ceased, the consciousness that is explained to be the same as the Dhatu of mentation, the sixth, transports them into Alia. So as soon as one moment of consciousness dissolves, they get escorted out. Just like when you get fired in a big company, the guy comes and like you pack your things and he takes you to the door. So takes that energy back into the storehouse, the Ali Vishnana, transports them into the Ali Vishnana. Immediately upon that, just as with the condition of waves emerging from water, from the Ali Vishnana that consists of all seeds, the mentation that dwells in the Ali Vishnana stirs again 
and comes forth. That is, the immediate mind arises as explained above earlier. When he talked about how does the immediate mind arise from the alia vijnana, and he's not saying vijnana, he's using shorthand of alia, because he doesn't have uh, here uh, a well. He hasn't gone to that uh, system of there being um, an alia and an alia vijnana, a foundational awareness that's below the alia vijnana. That's a later development that Jongen Cultural. We've actually, some of us have gone through this text in other classes using a commentary by Jongen Cultural, which actually is much simpler and easier to understand. But Jongen Cultural adds the Alia being different from the Alia Vijnana the base of existence, the base of samsara and nirvana, whereas the alia vijnana is the base of samsara, and the alia is below them, below the alia vijnana, and is the foundation for samsara and nirvana. And then when one uh, traverses the path, one activates the alia jnana, the alia wisdom, the foundational wisdom. Anyway, um... When a single conditional, when a single conditional instance of the six collections arises, i.e., a thought or a perception, also a single instance of the immediate mind arises, but no second one. Um, I think he's trying to say that the immediate mind doesn't produce the next moment of the immediate mind, but the alivijnana produces the next moment. If triggered by the condition of many such instances arising, then just that many instances of the immediate mind will arise. Therefore, as for the phrase, whatever has just ceased, once the earlier instances of the collections have ceased, the following conditional instances are triggered immediately. Derek. Yeah, not thoroughly clear. Thus, this is the immediate condition. Consequently, it's not contradictory to even explain this phrase as whatever is just arising. So basically, sorry, just to finish this up, it's basically, it's just um, sort of a logical conclusion that it has to be whatever um, just uh, arose is the immediate condition of whatever is currently arising. Sorry, Henrietta. No, I just, um, I'm just wondering if, if they're sort of substituting another, just another. Um, yes, they are. They're substituting another uh, sort of system for other systems. You yeah, know, another feels a little... mechanism of causality. Uh-huh. And yes, that's why the Banyamakas dispense with this. They're like, well, you've just created another level of complexity that doesn't hold water, so to speak, logically either. And basically things are beyond description and yeah. just don't, don't make a big fuss about it. <laughs> but, but does this come from you think this comes from their own experience? I think it comes from their their effort to describe their experience in a way that depersonalizes it mm-hmm. as a skillful means. Mm-hmm. Depersonalizes it, i.e. reduces the, the uh, participation of their being a self and also reduces the 
fixation on there being some external frame. Okay. I guess. And the root consciousness, and the reason it's given in the Trimshikakar, again, the root consciousness, the five consciousnesses arise. So root consciousness, by the way, is another uh, epithet, you might say, for the Ali Vijnana. The five consciousnesses arise according to conditions, either together or not, just like waves in water. Accordingly, the root consciousness is the Aliya Vijnana. The five consciousnesses arise according to condition means that they arise together with the, the three conditions, the object condition, the dominant condition, the immediately preceding condition. Or by having in mind that consciousness itself is the dominant condition, Vasubandhu takes the sense faculty, the object, and the consciousness to be produced in such a way that they are generated by the immediate mind alone. That's an alternative take on it. And just sort of like just the fact that he gives this alternative take on it shows the sort of fluidity of the system. It's really sort of strange. Um, with this in mind, Vasubandhu uh, said, either together or not. <laughs> The way in which the sixth mental consciousness arises is also stated in this text in the Trimshikakarika. The mental consciousness occurs always, except for in those without discrimination, meaning there are states of mind without discrimination, there's samadhis without discrimination, there's unconsciousness. In the two kinds of meditative absorption, deep sleep, these are the conditions without discrimination. The two kinds of meditative absorption, meaning the, pers the fourth of the formless absorptions, to neither perception nor non-perception, and the other is the cessation trance. Deep sleep, fainting, and also the state without mind. I don't know, state without mind. It must be like Florida or Texas or something, I figure. Since the sixth, the mental consciousness is temporarily withdrawn into the alia during those, these five states, its aspect of being directed toward phenomena is not clear. Since the, the mental consciousness is temporarily withdrawn into the alia during these five states, without discrimination, the aspect of being directed toward phenomena is not clear. Therefore, there's no like object-oriented object. -oriented object. Um, determining mental factors. It's uh, therefore it is explained that it does not occur in these states, it being discrimination in all other states it's held to be present. Here associated with the sixth mentation refers to the assertion that the immediate mind exists in the sixth consciousness mentation as well. Therefore, the immediate mind is a particular instance of the mentation that rests in the alia. It occurs to me that when he says mentation, it, he's talking about the seventh consciousness as the immediate consciousness, right? Because he says the assertion that the immediate mind, the seventh, exists in the sixth mentation. Oh, I'm sorry, the uh, the sixth consciousness is referred to as mentation. It's 
a little confusing, isn't it? Therefore, the immediate mind, which can be any particular time, is a particular instance of the mentation that rests in the alia. That's sort of confusing. However, since there are assertions by others that the immediate mind is a particular instance of the sixth mentation alone, these above words teach that all six consciousnesses, okay, all of the six consciousnesses can be immediate minds, uh, equally arise in this immediate way. Any one of the six consciousnesses can function as the immediate mind i.e. the immediately preceding moment of consciousness. The four conditions in Yogacara texts, as explained here simply, stand for the entirety of cause and conditions that are produced by the mind, ultimately through these conditions, sorry, though these conditions are tenable as sheer dependent origination, they refer to nothing but particular cases of imagination. The whole thing is just imagination anyway. After this incredibly complicated attempt to explain how mind can work and have objects without there being external reality. Though there are indeed many reasonings and scriptural elaborations for this, that much elaboration shall suffice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wrong Jung Dorje. Greatly appreciate having thus explained the divisions of cause and condition. There follows the division of the three phases, the impure, the, the phase being endowed with both purity and impurity, and the completely pure phase, talking about the phases of the path. And the impure phase is taught by three verses, starting with the general statement in this way, by virtue of the dependent origination of causes and conditions, all phenomena of samsara and nirvana appear. So, and dependence on cause and conditions, dependent origination, progressive order, meaning the uh, the normal way of the arising of samsara as samsara, and through realizing this as well as realizing its reverse order. You know, well, when the Buddha goes through um, the, the nidanas saying, well, if there was no birth, then there's no death, and if there was no becoming, then there's no birth, and so on, back through there, if there was no ignorance, then there's no formations and so forth. Um, is expressed in more, uh, as well as the reverse order, nirvana comes about. If this is expressed in more detail, as taught above, through ignorance, karmic formations arise, and through this condition, consciousness, name and form, six ayatanas, contact and feelings arise. Therefore, craving and grasping form the link to establish existence. So those two of the uh, Nadanas of the Twelve are the key ones that, is, that ignite the momentum for keeping the, the wheel of uh, dependent origination turning. Since this samsaric existence is threefold, I say, uh, so the three realms, there's the formless realm of beings that have no physical uh, body, but they do have mind. So they have four of the f uh, five skandhas. Uh, the form realm, where beings have subtle form, or sort of pure form. And then the desire realm, where we live. In due order, represent apprehending the characteristics of objects to a lesser, middling, and, and uh, great degree. So in the formless realms, there's a lesser degree of apprehension of objects as being real and solid. 
the four, and so forth. The four formless states represent apprehending the characteristics of objects to a lesser degree because the appearances of the desire and form realms as well as their obstructiveness have ceased. Since the form realm is free from the desire of the desire realm and arises through the force of its four samadhis, the four uh, samadhis that uh, constitute the formless, the form realm, it represents the middling degree of apprehension or apprehending of apprehending characteristics by virtue of being endowed with all types of imagination and attachment to sense pleasures. The desire realm involves the great degree of apprehending the characteristics of objects. All these realms are produced through improper thoughts of adopting and rejecting because of not realizing the basic nature of one's own mind, thus being formed through the triad of virtuous, non-virtuous, and neutral actions. Therefore I say, through thoughts of adopting and rejecting all this, and by virtue of the conditions of being formed through the triad of virtuous, non-virtuous, and neutral actions, uh, sorry, um, uh, dot, 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 having thus stated the features of the causes, you may wonder what their results are. The answer is, the results of happiness, suffering, and meditative absorptions are produced, all of which entail afflictions, including meditative absorptions, interestingly. Through the lesser, middling, and greater forces of the ten virtues, lesser, middling, and greater results or happiness are um, produced as appropriate, <clears throat> which represent the three happy realms within the desire realms being uh, humans, uh, asuras, and devas. Those of its states that entail suffering, which is produced by non-virtue, are the three lower realms of animals, hungry ghosts, and hell beings. And the form and formless realms are produced through the meditative absorptions of the four dhyanas and the four formless absorptions, respectively, which all lack prajna, by the way, meaning they're not really a good use of one's time. All of these states are not free from the afflicted mind. Therefore, the following line expresses the phase during which mind's nature is endowed with stains. This is the impure phase of mind as such, is its experience of any one of the three realms. The phase of being both impure and pure, as for those who know these stains to be adventitious, and then purify them with the methods, the victor, the Buddha, declare them to be those who are on the path. As taught above, those who know the obscurations to be adventitious and then engage in purifying the, those obscurations, these obscurations, they're relying on the dharmas concordant with enlightenment and through the distinctive features of the methods of the creation and completion stages. Interesting pitch for Vajrayana practice there. Are said to be those on the path. This refers to the phase of being both pure and impure, starting from the path of accumulation until the end of the continuum of the ten bhumis. The completely pure phase, stainless and purified, it is Buddhahood. Therefore, all beings are Buddhas indeed, being free from all afflictive and cognitive stains, as well as from those of meditative absorption, is Buddhahood. And since the minds of all sentient beings are not separated from this freedom, they are said to be Buddhas. The Hevadra Tantra says sentient beings are Buddhas indeed, however they are obscured by adventitious stains. If these are removed, they are Buddhas.
The sutras declare the Sugata heart pervades all beings. There is no sentient being here who is not its vessel. Thus, the above two lines teach the meaning that is expressed in these scriptures. And those are sort of a little simple uh, allusion to the way that Buddha nature uh, is described. And his text on pointing out Buddha nature, which we'll get to later, goes into more detail on how that is to be understood. Chapter 6, the manner in which consciousness and wisdom are connected in the four states. In the waking state, so we have waking, sleeping, and so forth. Um, nature, purity, factors. Uh, the nature. As for consciousness during the ordinary state, through the alia being formed by the afflicted mind, as explained above, triggered by the four conditions. The six consciousnesses, such as the visual one, are connected with the six sense faculties, and it appears as the six objects, such as form. The three feelings, happiness, suffering, and difference, produce attachment, aversion, and dullness, transported by the immediate mind, their input into the alia, and reformed again. Both alias meaning, uh, the use of the word alia meaning ali vishnana. This states from where consciousness during the ordinary waking state arises and what, through the alia being formed by the afflicted mind explained above, is triggered by the four conditions. Through the four conditions explained above, the causal, dominant, and immediate, and object conditions, the six consciousnesses, such as the visual one, are connected with the six sense faculties. Through not knowing what that what externally appears as the six objects, such as form, is one's own mind. Toward the three kinds of feelings, happiness, suffering, and difference, attachment toward happiness, aversion toward suffering, and dullness through not realizing indifference are produced through being transported by the immediate mind, they're input into the alia and returned, I'm sorry, reformed again, they're recycled. Later, later in dependence on these later latent tendencies, Thus, this becomes the wheel of afflictions and samsaric suffering. This is also stated by the great scholar Vimalamitra in the context of summarizing the meaning of the Dzogchen Tantras. And I found that to be pretty interesting, just that he quotes Vimalamitra and refers, uh, quotes him summing up the Dzogchen Tantras. So, within unmistaken alpha purity, which is a translation of the term kadak, and uh, alpha purity was uh, the way Trump Rinpoche translated that's interesting that Carl takes that up within unmistaken alpha purity from the beginning indeterminate spontaneous presence warped by variegated mistaken wisdom due to threefold ignorance present consciousnesses sorry present consciousness so vividly lucid and aware by virtue of the aspect of it appearing to shift outside for just an, an instant outside turns into mind apprehending objects as having a real identity and through its impure focus of the four conditions the appearances of the six objects emerge so here's the Dzogchen explanation of the of the experience of the full manifestation of the world, so to speak. Um, and like the one that Vong Chung Dorje went through, 
it also has no sort of uh, does not uh, um, get fixated on the lack of there being a first cause. Like, why did the whole thing start anyway? Neither, not, neither of them, none of them are concerned or upset about the lack of being able to identify a first cause because they're just describing what is. The appearances of the six objects emerge. Um, sorry. Through the six afflictions, they are fettered as having a real identity. In this way, objects are taken to have a real identity. Then gradually, the forms of the many appearances of container and contents, which is the Buddhist way of describing the entire universe, the container is the environment, the inanimate and the animate is uh, how it's translated in the Sadhana Mahamudra, the environment and, and uh, its, contain, its contents. Mingle, childish beings, ignorant of this kind of dependent origination, remain in it continuously, like in a water wheel. And the water wheel is a reference to the analogy that Chandra Kirti uses in his famous text, The Introduction to the Middle Way, where he says beings continue to get propelled through, throughout samsara over and over again, like water in a water wheel, just the river flows and the wheel just goes continuously and they go around and around, assuming their individual bodies and characters. Having thus explained the nature of the ordinary waking state, there follows its purity. The purity of this consists of threefold wisdom. Mentation is unmoving the wisdom of equality. Pure imagination is discriminating wisdom and the five doors and their objects are all accomplishing wisdom. So here we have the kernel of the five wisdoms. We have just three wisdoms. Mentation is unmoving the wisdom of equality, um, which is what Vajra family or Buddha, what is the wisdom of equality? It's uh, Ratna family, right? Yeah. And pure imagine is discriminating wisdom. All discriminating is uh, Padma. Padma family. Thank you. And the five doors and their objects are the all accomplishing karma, karma family. You wonder how can we be certain that these five wisdoms, these three, as well as the mirror like and the Dharmadhatu wisdom, making five, which were taught above in the section on deep sleep. Did we have deep sleep yet? Arise from the mistakenness of the four states having become pure. This is stated, you know, how do we know that these, the, that the purification of the four states leads to these wisdoms? This is stated in the mantra scriptures such as the Guya Samaja Tantra. And the change of state of the five skandhas is also taught in the Mahayana Samgraha by a sangha. Through how many kinds of masteries is the mastery of the Dharmakaya attained? In brief, mastery is attained through five kinds, referring to the five wisdoms. Through the change of state of the skanda form, mastery over pure Buddha realms, kayas, the excellent major and minor marks, infinite voices, and the invisible mark on the crown of the head, the Brahmarandra, is attained. 
So the five skandhas transform into the five wisdoms through the change of state of the skanda feeling mastery over finite and vast blissful states without wrongdoing is attained. Through the change of state of the skanda discrimination mastery over the teachings is attained through all groups of words, phrases, and letters. Through the change of state of the skanda formation mastery over creation, transformation, gallery, retinues, and immaculate dharmas is attained. And through the change of state of the skanda of consciousness Mastery over mirror-like wisdom, the wisdom of equality, discriminating wisdom, and over all accomplishing wisdom is accomplished. So consciousness transforms into the into the five wisdoms, and the others transform into all these different powers, capabilities of Buddhahood. Interestingly, the change of state of the alias mirror-like wisdom. So here's another scheme. Here's Rangjun Dorje's scheme. The change of state of the alia is mirror-like wisdom, which is the Buddha family wisdom, right? No, uh, sorry, it's the uh, Vajra family wisdom, right? Buddha wisdom is Dharmadatta. The change of state of the mentation that rests in the alia, the seventh consciousness, is the wisdom of equality. Uh, as the Ratna family, the change of state of the sixth, the mental consciousness, is discriminating wisdom. The Padma family, the change of state of the consciousnesses that engage entities, the five consciousnesses, is all accomplishing wisdom. Karma family, Dharmadhatu wisdom is what abides as the nature of the utterly pure essence of all of these of these wisdoms, i.e., all of these wisdoms. As for the natures of these wisdoms, the Mahayana Sutra Alamkara by Maitreya says, mirror-like wisdom is without mere mind, unconfined, ever-present, not ignorant about the entirety of knowable objects, yet never directed toward them. Since it is the cause of all wisdom, it is like a great jewel mine of wisdom. It is the Sambhogakaya, sorry, it is the Sambhoga, Buddhahood, since the reflection of wisdom arises. So then we have the affiliation of the uh, correlation between the kayas and the wisdoms. Uh, thus, mirror-like wisdom is unmoving, without mind, unconfined, ever-present, and not ignorant about all noble objects, but not directed towards them, knows all noble objects without being directed towards them in a subject-object manner, and it constitutes the Sambhogakaya. Since it is the cause of all the other wisdoms, it is also the cause of Sambhoga, Buddhahood, thus being presented as their causal condition. Wow. As for its hermeneutical etymology, whatever the hell that means, it's uh, its uh, development of its implication or understanding, since the reflection of all wisdoms arise from it, from among the three kayas of a Buddha, it is the Dharmakaya. I thought it was the Sambhogakaya. Interesting, okay. The Mahayana Samgraha Sangha says the Dharmakaya is constituted by the Buddha Dharma purity since the Dharmakaya is attained by the Aliya consciousness having changed state. So the Aliya is uh, the Dharmakaya. Also the Sutra of Golden Light, Suvarna Prabhasa Sotama Sutra discusses this extensively through relinquishing the Aliya consciousness the Dharmakaya is displayed through meditation which rests in it having become pure, 
Sambhogakaya has displayed seven consciousnesses to consciousnesses that engage entities having become pure. Nirmanakaya has displayed. This is furthermore explained in the Buddha Bhumi Sutra and the Arya Buddha Bhumi Vyakyana. Also the Shri something or other treats it in detail saying that Ali is mirror-like wisdom. <laughs> this is the Dharmakaya. Okay, so they all agree that Alia turns into Dharmakaya. But there's like this affiliation of mirror-like wisdom and Dharmadhatu wisdom, right? That's what's sort of getting confused together. There's the assertion by some that this is Samboga Buddhahood, but they just did not grasp the intention of Master Vasubandhu's commentary on the above line in the Mayana Sutra Lanka, which says, it is also Samboga Buddhahood. Oh, see, he's the source of the confusion, but he's going to explain what that meant. Adding the term yeah. also, yes, ma'am. What, is, what does that mean, Saboga Buddha? I've never heard that expression. Yeah, I think it's an early way, like uh, early on in the evolution of the, of the Kayas, of a way of referring to what later becomes referred to as Saboga Kaya. So it's one and the same. I, I believe so. And I think we'll see similar further. There's like a weird version of the Nirmanakaya. It has a weird name. Um, adding the term also serves as a word that links Dharmakaya and mirror-like wisdom to Samboga Buddhahood as the latter's causal condition. Just as linking the Alia to the seven collection of consciousness as their causal condition. If it were not like this, that is if mirror-like wisdom were the Sambhogakaya That would indeed be num there would indeed be numerous flaws in terms of scriptures, such as contradicting the above and other sources and reasoning, such as messing up, <laughs> messing up <laughs> the basis of purification and the means of purification. But that much elaboration will suffice. So he uses Sambhogo Buddhahood, and then I guess brackets means that's Carl has the word Sambhogakaya. Interestingly. Um, as for the wisdom of equality, the Mahayana Sutra Lankara continues, the wisdom of equality towards sentient beings is held to be stainless by virtue of pure cultivation, residing in non-abiding peace is asserted to be the wisdom of equality. So non-abiding peace, non-abiding nirvana is the Mahayana way of uh, explaining true nirvana, whereas in the earlier tradition there's uh, nirvana with and without outflows. There's the nirvana that an arhat experiences while still alive in the body and thereby having outflows, literal and both literal and metaphorical, and then the nirvana that occurs after the uh, giving up of the body at the time of death, which is then nirvana without outflows. And those are those are like substantially different sort of levels of nirvana in the earlier system. And the Mahayana comes up with this idea of non-abiding nirvana as being irregardless of uh, whether, irregardless is a funny word, regardless of whether one is alive or has passed away. Said to be endowed at all times with great love and compassion, the image of the Buddha displays just ascension beings aspire. So this refers to the way that uh, the appearance of Buddhas is explained as the as the response to the needs of beings. 
because it arises from the pure cultivation of non-conceptual samadhi as unbiased in any way as the peace of not abiding in either samsaric existence or peace engages in great compassion that displays in various physical forms with the major and minor marks to sentient beings according to their inclinations. This wisdom of equality is the change of state of the mentation that rests in the alia. Interesting. Uh, this, the change of state of this and, and one part of the sixth mental consciousness, that is the immediate mind, represents the Sambhogakai. Wow. So the Alia consciousness, um, is the wisdom of equality. The change of state of the mentation that it rests in the Alia. So it's the part of the seventh that rests in the Alia. And the change of state of this and one part of the sixth, the mental consciousness, that is the immediate mind, that's sort of the, the, the aspect of the seventh consciousness that is similar to the sixth, I guess, the immediate, represents the Sambhogakaya. That's such a weird way of splitting them up. As for the discriminating wisdom, the Mayana Sutra Lamkara says discriminated wisdom is always unimpeded toward all noble objects. It is just like a treasury of dharanis and samadhis. So meaning it has like all capabilities within it. In the model of retinues, it displays all masteries, cuts through all doubts, and rains down the great dharma. Wow, in the, in the Mahayana Sutra Lamkara talks about mandala of retinues. That's interesting. Such a Vajrayana thing going on in the mind of Sujalamka. Kevin, did you raise your... Yeah, Kevin. Yeah. Can we look at that uh, footnote? Yeah, Please. thank you. Yeah, anybody else, if you... If you like a footnote... I got a, good laugh. I got a good laugh out of it, especially if we go to <laughs> number, number four. It's the reason we can't get rid of this damn pandemic. We don't have the right mantra. Wait, which which footnote? Number uh, three sixty-two. Three sixty-two. Okay. Yeah. There are four kinds of dharani, and you're saying the fourth one, the dharani of. Yeah, read the fourth one. Uh, the dharani of. Um, of secret mantra. mantra refers to feet such as bodhisattvas on the Bhumi's blessing the letters of mantra. <clears throat> By virtue of which these mantras are able to overcome epidemics and so on. What did I say? Yeah, we don't have enough of that happening. Therefore, the mm -hmm. pandemic is just like dragging on and on instead of all the mantras. mantras. The mantras have to be blessed. Four types of dharani. Interesting. Buddhism is so complicated. It's unbelievable. Okay, so uh, since it resembles the treasury of dharanis and samadhis and manifests as the conch shell of the spoken dharma. What an odd phrase. The conch shell of the spoken dharma. Meaning uh, something like uh, that the conch shell makes this, you know, they, they, they blow conch shells like horns, right? In India. If you cut off the tip of a conch shell and you blow into it, it becomes like a horn. Uh, the change of state of the sixth mental consciousness in general together with the just mentioned 
change of state of the afflicted mind represents the Sambhogakaya. However, each one of its following two aspects belong to the Nirmanakaya. So this one goes both ways. The display of pure realms and such by virtue of the change of state of the part of the sixth consciousness that apprehends outer reference and wisdom and enlightened activity being unimpeded at all times by virtue of the change of state of the conceptual part of the sixth consciousness. It's like they're quibbling over like which part of the conceptual uh, mind or false imagination turns into the kayas, which kayas. And the whole contraption of false imagination is just a, a, an imaginary creation. And yet they have this whole complicated system for what turns into what. It's amazing. As for the all-accomplishing wisdom, all accomplishing wisdom accomplishes the welfare of all sentient beings in all realms through various immeasurable and incalculable incalculable emanations. Uh, no, inconceivable, sorry. Through the differences in accomplishing their deeds in terms of numbers, realms, always in all respects, Buddha emanations should be known to be inconceivable. Okay. Since it engages all worldly realms in various forms, the change of state of all the consciousnesses that engage outer entities, i.e. the five doors of sense consciousnesses and the one perceptual part of the mental consciousness, so that's the part of the sixth consciousness that experiences the five consciousnesses, um, represents all accomplishing wisdom. This is the Nirmanakaya. Thus the terms of the four wisdoms bear their respective meanings by virtue of ret retaining all wisdoms, being minds of quality, teaching the Dharma and accomplishing all deeds. Due to retaining, due to equanimity, due to elucidating the perfect Dharma, and due to accomplishing activities, the four wisdoms arise. You may wonder, how about the fifth, the Dharmadhatu wisdom? I was wondering about that. I'm sure you guys were too. It's like, what about that one? It is the essence in which the disposition and the purpose are not different. The disposition and the purpose in which samsara and nirvana complete, which is neither beginning nor end, is neither single nor multiple, and by virtue of these features is free from all characteristics of reference points. Therefore, this is evidently what is taught by the following phrase, in view of different dispositions, in view of uselessness, uselessness, in view of completeness, and in view of no beginning. Buddha is not single, because there's different dispositions, nor is it multiple, because then it would be useless. So there's no difference in the stainless ground, in view of completeness. That's weird. Okay. There's no difference. Buddha's not single, nor is it multiple. So all the Buddhas are neither the same or different. All the different Buddhas. Right. There's there is a way to want to match the wisdoms with the five skandhas, but this will be explained below. And then, uh, let's see, we're a little bit over time, but can finish this section. Factors to be relinquished, the remedies and the results by the path is the obscurations of what are are what are relinquished through seeing and familiarization, which means the path of seeing and the path of familiarization, paths three and four. The four kinds of remedies are aspiration, in identitylessness, samadhi, and compassion are the four kinds of remedies. 
the obscurations of the wis of the wisdoms that pertain to meditation and the five doors in particular are the course imputed and subtle innate afflictions that are respectively relinquished to the paths of seeing and familiarization. The course imputed is the glaciers, uh, and the subtle innate are the knowledge obscurations or afflictions. Interesting. The obscurations of all eight collections of consciousness in general are the entirety of afflictive and cognitive obscurations. Afflictive obscurations are coarse or subtle. So the first part, sorry, was just about the afflictions. And then all the obstructions of obscurations of all eight are the two obscurations of clashes and knowledge. The remedies are to greatly cultivate aspiration for the Dharma of the Mahayana. Cultivate aspiration, just aspiration. Interesting, skillful means. The prajna that realizes identity, listness, personal, phenomenal, samadhi, such as the sky treasure and great compassion that engages all sentient beings. This is stated in the Uttara Tantra, those who possess the seed of aspiration for the supreme yana, prajna, as the mother who gives birth to the Buddha dharmas, the abode of the womb of blissful samadhi, and the nanny. <laughs> The nanny. Wow. Okay, the nanny of compassion, other children born to follow the sages. It's a poetic way of describing the four remedies. This is just as explained in the above section on wisdom, purified through them, the nirmanakai, which promotes the welfare of beings, and since mentation and dreams are the same, the sambhogukaya are said to be the fruitions. Because this is discussed extensively in all dharmas, here I just gave a summary, although a somewhat confusing one. Therefore, bind with the dharma mudra. What is he talking about? He's like shifted into another whole realm, this whole discussions on the wisdoms and kayas is really out there. Wow, that's the purity of the three phases that was the purity. And there you have it. Very simple, cut and dry. It's very straightforward. And if you understand it, please let me know. <laughs> that was sort of bizarre, wasn't it? Okay, having fun yet? Any final comments? Suggestions, questions, jokes, nothing? Okay. So be it. Let us dedicate the merit. By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy ways of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, may the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled, rather. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Sorry, I got distracted. I was thinking, so after doing this really difficult text, 
do you guys uh, still like, uh, how do you guys feel about doing the wisdom chapter by Meepom, which is supposed to be even more complicated? <laughs> yes, we should or, do it. Or we could take a break. And, we, we could take a break and do a meditation related class. That's what I was thinking. We should like we should do meditation class after this. It's just like so, so heady. What do you guys think? I've had enough. <laughs> I got a headache. <laughs> no, I mean really. I I just um, I don't know. I'm. It's over the top, isn't it? Yeah, I'm having so many doubts. <laughs> but, but in the spirit in the spirit of the Yogacara, it would be important to do practice. Yeah, right. That's the whole point of this is that if, if we could find a way to ex- take the essence of this and do a course that relates to how they practice yeah. and how to tie that together, that would be great. Yeah, we'll do that next. I don't think I've ever recommended picking one of the meditation classes. This time, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Great to see you. Be well. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Recording stopped.